I'll be honest with you, because so, sometimes cops came on to be cops, right? What they saw on TV, what they saw on cops, or whatever it may be, uh, you know, the adrenaline junkies that want to chase people with guns, I get it. There's time to do cop stuff. But can, can we, again, back to building better cops, can we make it okay for them to take 10 minutes with a domestic violence victim and their kids after we just took the dad to jail? Who, and historically, we would just leave and mom would have anxiety because she might not have a job, might not ha know how she's gonna get her kids to school, can't drive. And then do those kids, they don't see their dad as a domestic violence suspect. They see him as their dad. How can I help? How can I be useful in ending needless suffering? Do not be afraid of work that has no end. We have to organize a social movement. We have an opportunity to lead by example versus just talking, hot air. I think the more people in this fight, the more we grow. Eventually you could change. You know, the people are the ones that can make the change. This is going to be part two of my conversation with Captain Ryan Whiteman of the LAPD's Community Safety Partnership Bureau. Before you dive into this episode, I recommend that you brush up on the first episode. If you haven't seen it, you can be sure to check out that part one by following the link that is in the show notes. Mental health, like I said, is a huge thing, not only for the community, but for my officers. Uh, we, we have, uh, throughout the CSP sites, we've secured in collaboration and partnership with the city attorney's office, $7 million of funding for, for mental health uh, programming. Uh, that's gonna be laid out and delivered over the next three to five years. That's gonna be a game changer, in my opinion. Uh, Destigmatization of, 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 of how people see what mental health is, it doesn't mean you're crazy. And I'm sure military has some of that when they come, you know, uh, just from- it was, it was stigmatized a little bit when I first came in. Right. And by the time that I was leaving, it was very interesting to see the shift from, and again, you won't, you would never find it in doctrine. Right. But you would find it from the people that you worked with. Right. Like, what do you mean you're struggling with something, pussy? Yep. Like, let's go. And I was like, oh, okay. By the time I was leaving, <clears throat> and from my understanding, it's only accelerated beyond the nearly 10 years since I've been out, but they were rolling in the entire family unit. Resiliency, retreats, yes. communication yep. specialists, which again is a little bit easier from the job that I held because I would clock in and I would clock out and then spend time you know, knowing that I wasn't gonna be going into a, a high risk, high threat kinetic environment. So they would bookend those things. But from my understanding, you know, the mental health, the mental hygiene aspect, the repetitive right. mental hygiene aspect has continued, but building, or not building, breaking down the stigma associated with that. I have a lot of law enforcement officers actually that reach out to me uh, privately Good. through my podcast. And I wish I had better resources. The number one concern they have is voicing that they need help and it would be a risk to their badge and gun. And I'm, I don't come from that world, so I don't right. know necessarily how those steps occur. Yeah. And it probably varies drastically by department. Yeah. But that, and I'm speaking for them, and, I'm, and broadly, they're not all like that, but that is a, a through theme right. that comes through quite a bit. So agencies, and, and we're fortunate. 
We have behavioral science services. Uh, Dr. Dorian is our chief psychologist, and we have a cadre of psychologists that work with him and are very uh, aggressive in our messaging of this. Could it get better? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the issue about losing your gun and badge. Mental, and, and this is what I talk to my folks about, because I am, I am a work in progress with, with my mental fitness. You call as it mental hygiene. Are. As we all are. But we don't, leadership has to talk about it. Yeah. So I went through a divorce. Uh, this was probably seven, eight years ago. And I had my, 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 my kids were younger then. And it, it, it caused me some, some issues, anxiety, depression. That doesn't mean you're crazy and you can still do the job as long as you are seeking the right help. Luckily, I had a, a sergeant on the department, or well, a sergeant and particularly my captain at the time who's since retired, that really shepherded me through that the right way and got me what I needed so I could stay, you know, retaining my, my, my job and actually showing up to work and not laying in bed all day curled up in a ball because I, I thought it was too much. Leadership has to talk about that with their folks. We have to say just because you might need to talk to a therapist because you have anxiety because you're having this life issue that you don't want to tell anybody, but which we understand doesn't mean they're going to send you home. Departments have to absorb some risk on that, right? The nature of the job is that these cops are asked and required to place themselves in situations where there's going to be some impact of trauma. There is. And we ask them to go deal with see a dead body, whatever it may be, and 20 minutes later hit the clear button and go to handle another call without reconciling how they felt about that one. That's unfair to them. And it's even more unfair that we don't talk to them about if you need it, don't worry about what we're gonna do to you. What we're gonna do to you is provide you what you need to get you better, to make you a better cop. Because you're gonna be better. You're not gonna be better if you insulate it compartmentalize it and keep on moving on because there's going to be a point where there's no room left to shelf things. And then we wonder, man, I thought that was going to happen and I didn't say anything. I thought, I thought you were drinking a lot and this is why. And now you got a DUI and you hurt yourself or someone else. Those are things sometimes are catastrophic and we can't come back from. So the messaging to our people from a leadership standpoint again is it's okay not to be okay, identify what your issue is, we have services for you, let's get you right, we support you, let's get you back out there, and then please be an advocate to your peers that this worked. And then we'll see an amplification of utilization of services that are there for them. That's, that's the game changer, we're getting there. We talk about it all the time now. We talk about officer trauma with community now. That's a big deal. I remember uh, my first two weeks uh, in, in Hollenbeck Division, the first dead body murder I saw was a 13 or 14 year old male Hispanic gang member behind a Bank of America on Broadway and Daly. And I can remember today like it happened yesterday. That's unresolved trauma, right? Let's, let's be frank. I'm sure everyone can sit here and say, I remember this in my life. It doesn't matter if you wear a gun or a badge or a military uniform. 
we've all seen horrible stuff, but, but is it unresolved? And how, as an organization, how trauma-aware are we to make sure our people understand that they can talk about it? What you just described is exactly the difference in the SEAL community and what I think levered it towards the change. Mm -hmm. It was senior people, not necessarily even by rank. A lot of it was senior by experience, right. openly talking about what they, I think it just was more like the impact that they had by working through whatever was right. going on in their life. Because again, I couldn't agree with you more. The badge and gun, that's cool. That's an occupational right. like Batman belt. Underneath that, you're still a human being, and human beings have to deal with human being stuff. Right. It was those senior senior people who held the mentorship roles that I think actually were more impactful than anybody doing it from a senior right. rank perspective. And, and, and if you take that, that part of mental fitness, whatever we want to call it, and if we take care of that, is our product on the street and our services delivery that we do to the community, is it going to get better? Yes. Because how many times have you gone on a mission or gone out, even gone out with a buddy that you know is having a problem and they're just being a knucklehead yeah. and you go, like for me, you go to a radio call and you're just like, this isn't going to go well because he or she's <laughs> not in the mental space. Or you go, to a, you go to a dinner or a bar with a buddy just, and you're like, I don't want to be here with this dude because this is going to end up in a fight. Like, we need to build better cops. And I don't know if that's the right word, building better cops, but that mental fitness part of it and really drilling down on it and making it almost a requirement within the, within the profession of policing to say, you know, you can go lift weights, you can run a six minute mile, you can do all this stuff, but if your mind isn't right to do the job and, 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 and do it the right way within the, 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 the vision and values of the organization and society, none of that matters because you're going to give bad service. And it only takes, we've seen, one incident to really mire law enforcement nationwide, globally. <laughs> I mean, there, you know. The invent of uh, social media and uh, ha has transformed the way police incidents are seen, not only regionally but globally. Like, you know, uh, it, it's it, you know, someone in, in uh, Montana does something, and it's an issue in Florida. How quickly use George Floyd as an example? How quickly do you, as an organization, palpably feel the impact of something like that? That was almost immediate. That was like that. That that the video came out. Uh, it may it may may have. I'm trying to think back, I think it took like a day kind to to to, to percolate uh, the video get out, and then for uh, protesting groups to organize, if you will, and then we were in the midst of basically a two-week uh, full-scale department deployment in various portions of the city that were uh, under, uh, under protest activity, downtown Hollywood, the west side, Santa Monica we helped with. Uh, it was everywhere. Uh, and, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, hiring and, and r retention, are we still feeling the effects of that? I, 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 I would believe, say I believe to, we are. Yeah. I think everybody is. I, the the hiring uh, issue isn't uh, LAPD focused. It's 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 everywhere. Uh, we're bigger, so I think we can absorb it a little bit more. But 
at, at some point there's a there's a breaking point and again when we talk about uh, delivery of services and follow-up investigations from our detectives that's our bread and butter when we talk about relationships and public trust if we can't get to a call in a timely manner handle it appropriately if you're a victim do you get follow-up and do you get an explanation of why the case can be solved or why not if it takes two hours to get to a call or six months to get to a victim what is the likelihood of building that trust with the community? What is the likelihood of them participating in future prosecutions or reporting anything? Let's be honest. So now do you have situations where we're not, where people lose trust in the, in the whole system? And we, we are laser focused from, from, from the top levels of, 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 of uh, keeping the focus on that basic uh, services and the delivery of, of, of officers to help the community, uh, you know, and, and, and we're very cognizant of, 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 of really trying to get good people to come be cops here in LAPD, and we'll come out of it. We, 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 we'll, we'll find our way out of it, but it, 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 it's a national thing. It's, it's a profession thing at this point. What kind of impact did you, or not you, or maybe you, but the department in, at large, obviously the CSP program is expanding, so it's having a, a positive impact. Yeah. What, what what were the first changes that were noticed by the department when they? It was two locations you said that they first it was four four four. Okay. Uh, so what happened is the, the the so LAPD has geographical areas, so the city's huge. It's broken up into uh, twenty one geographical areas. When CSP started. Hollenbeck Division and Southeast Division were the ones that had the CSP sites. They were under the command of those geographical areas. After uh, the, the George Floyd incident, the department and city leadership made a decision to make uh, it a bureau. So a standalone bureau that was reported straight to Chief Mike Moore. Uh, Mata Tingaridis was promoted to deputy chief. And at that time, we had the four original sites, and we had added Gonzac uh, Village, Avalon Gardens, which are two housing developments, Pueblo del Rio and Newton Division, which is a housing development, uh, Harvard Park, South Park in South LA, and San Fernando Gardens, which is a housing development in the valley. So we had expanded by uh, to 10 sites. They made that a bureau. They assigned uh, two captains, me and my partner, Captain Gisela Espinoza. At the time, the first captain for South Bureau was now it's Commander Billy Brockway. I took over for him when he promoted. And we built a bureau, which is very difficult uh, in LAPD, uh, just because you're kind of, you're, you're, you're building the plane as, it, as it's flying, trying to staff it, get, uh, resource it with equipment. Uh, is difficult. Uh, so that's where we're at now. And like I said, we're adding two sites, hopefully in the next 18 months or so, after community assessments are done. Uh, that was a game changer though, for the implementation of the Bureau, uh, the commitment from the city to this policing model. Is this policing model that's something that can be done in every area? all hopefully 9,700 cops if we're, we get to back to where we were uh, a couple of years ago? Probably not. 
but can it be implemented in neighborhoods who have seen uh, historically tremendous amounts of crime, specifically violent crime, have a diminished trust with police, uh, and feel like they are, they, they are marginalized by government, whether it's just lack of delivery of services, uh, capital investment, whatever you may have, do they feel that way? MacArthur Park is one of the sites that everyone clamors about a lot of time. Can we, you know, it, it's always comes up in topics like, can we add MacArthur Park? Can we add a site in West Bureau? Is, is the Venice Beach area something that, that people have appetite for? I don't know. That's, that's a funding issue, and, and I, I would love to go to more neighborhoods, specifically neighborhoods in need. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that the philosophy can be transferred to patrol officers to do a little bit more, take a little bit more time, if they can, to communicate with people. Uh, it's, a, it's a philosophy for command officers, how they should be engaging their communities, how they should be listening and developing that community-led approach, which is law enforcement supported, uh, making themselves available and vulnerable to criticism for communities that may not like the police, but may need that platform to better understand why we do what we do and develop relationships even though we might not agree all the time, at least the door is always open for conversation. That's what CSP, where we're at now. Uh, we have had some, some tremendous gains in crime, reduction specifically. Last year, the CSP sites saw about a 13% reduction in part one crime, while other parts of the city and in the country uh, shot up. This year, we're seeing, uh, as compared to last year, uh, over 25% reduction already. And the South Bureau sites this year, uh, the area that I'm responsible for, we've had two shootings. That's it. Two too many, but we've only had two as of last Saturday night. So I'm optimistic. Uh, the department uh, is committed. The mayor's office is committed, which, which, which I, I appreciate. But it's, 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 it's going to take a, uh, a lot of investment to uh, train our people to make it okay to do this type of police work. I'll be honest with you, because so sometimes cops came on to be cops, right? What they saw on TV, what they saw on cops, or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, the adrenaline junkies that want to chase people with guns, I get it. There's time to do cop stuff. But can, can we, again, back to building better cops, can we make it okay for them to take 10 minutes with a domestic violence victim and their kids after we just took the dad to jail, who and historically we would just leave and mom would have anxiety because she might not have a job, might not ha know how she's gonna get her kids to school, can't drive. And then do those kids, they don't see their dad as a domestic violence suspect. They see him as their dad. And they see us as the ones taking them, him from the home. So is it worthwhile to take a few minutes to provide services that, we've, that, that we have from collaborators or partners and to explain to those kids it's gonna be okay, this is why, and maybe they won't have that bad taste in their mouth about police for the rest of their life. And that sounds maybe anecdotal and corny, but I think there's some value to that. What do you wish people knew about 
just the profession of a law enforcement officer that you don't think that they do? That we're not just law enforcement. I, again, that's a sliver of what these cops do every day. These cops not only care, they really try to do their job right every day. They, a lot of our cops, you know, we do a wonderful job of diversity in the ranks of LAPD. I know, I don't think that narrative is, uh, is uh, out there. I don't think people accept that. They, I think they think we're very male, uh, white and Hispanic oriented. We're diverse. You go to you go to the trainings, and, you, and I, one of the questions I ask in, in the gang school that I participate in is, "How many of you grew up in in gang areas?" There's a tremendous amount of our cops that grew up in these areas, and were that were terrorized and in fear, and they made it to be a cop, and now they're giving back. Not only do they give back uh, just by not being at home by doing a dangerous job every day, but the emotional investment that they have in the work that they do uh, that they never tell anybody it needs to be told. And I, w I would really like to see more stuff like this where officers, the good stuff that they do, the, 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 the selfless things that they do uh, are uh, brought to light even though they would be very uncomfortable if we do and how their service is building trust every day and how they don't just seek enforcement action on people and how they understand that uh, their words and their actions do matter and that they do go home and they, they struggle with some of the stuff they see and some of the things they have to do based upon their profession. And that's never taken into account by people who criticize. Uh, I think it's important that the officers who feel like they don't have a voice right now, and this is profession nationwide, outlets do provide them a voice, and that, 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 that they're honest about uh, how much they love the job, because they do love it. But it's hard to love something when you don't feel any love coming back, and I think that's the point we're in now. And leadership and city government, I think uh, we're trying to pour back into them and it's gonna be something that's gonna take time and we're gonna to have to rebuild trust internally as well as externally to, to become a better organization for the next generation of police officers. So for people who are gonna hear this all over the US that don't have a CSP program right now, you'll, you'll have probably multiple different angles. You'll have officers who are interested, organizations, and then civilians. Is there a portal, a place where they could go to learn more about it? Somebody, somewhere they can reach out to with the hopes of one day implementing a similar program? Right, so uh, we have a website, uh, www.cspleapd.org. I believe that's it. We've changed it a few times. Uh, we can get it. <laughs> Why would you guys change it a few times? Well, we can't, we, uh, yeah, we, we, we built a better uh, website. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm always available. Uh, we, we do. Uh, I think there's great value in fielding calls and conversations with uh, law enforcement partners, not only within uh, the country, but uh, worldwide, uh, to talk about best practices and development of them. We, I, I have been, like I'm 
grateful last year I got to do a significant amount of interfacing with different agencies in the country to talk about things they do, how we do. Every community is different, so there's not going to be a, a steadfast blueprint of, of, of what works. Specifically, if you're running a community-led program, the community should be telling you what services they need aside from policing. So if, like in Watch right now, we did a community assessment a couple of years ago and community identified mental health, uh, education, uh, youth programming, uh, job training, so uh, as their primary four things that they wanted. So we've built together. They're coming into this yeah, building. Sounds loud. Get on the radio and tell them to knock yeah. that off. They to, need to do some community policing. They're out they, there doing cop shit. Yeah, they're doing cop stuff. <laughs> uh, we, we, we've been able to create with partners programs where people are, we're, we're identifying sending kids to after school programs for tutoring through a partner. That, it, when those kids get caught up, they have an opportunity to go to private school for free. Those kids go, have an opportunity, if they're academically achieving, to go to college for free through philanthropists that we've made contact with that are, that are doing things that are amazing. We have job training now for trades. We have mental health services with the grants. We have sports that, that we do a great job with. We have three or four victim advocacy groups that we've identified that help us with our victims through court process to understand what's gonna happen after the arrest and before the conviction. And we're teaching our cops not only to service a primary client in the field that may be a victim or a suspect in some cases, but to take the time to do household assessments to stabilize that household, to hopefully require less police interface for negative stuff and provide different services to that household to help amplify their success. And again, these communities, we need them to thrive and not just survive. That's one of the biggest things that I hear from, from folks when I, when I talk to them is specifically since some of, the, some of the rises in our inflation level, people are like, what does inflation have to do with policing? It has a lot to do with policing because people can't eat, people can't clothe themselves. Uh, they say, I'm just barely surviving. We, we want these communities to th thrive all over LA. Uh, so we're working on some of the toughest ones to, 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 to be as good partners as we can to them, to provide them with that hope and opportunity and hopefully change a few lives in the way. And I think we're doing that. To learn more about the LAPD's Community Safety Partnership Bureau and the organizations that they are involved with, please check out lapdcsp.org. That is lapdcsp.org.